You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. We are just about complete with the, the plan for the spring game. We're going to have, uh, it's not going to be offense against defense. We're going to form two teams that will be selected, finalized and selected by the coaching staff uh, by tomorrow afternoon with, with our team. Listen, I'm honored and I'm excited every day to be here and I'm just in love with, with what we're doing as a team. Um, the people here have been so awesome and warm and welcoming. They're on fire for football and that excitement and energy is a million times better than apathy and atrophy. Um, so, so that's very exciting to me. For a lot of people, you know, new faces in there, new quarterbacks, um, some new, new receivers. You know, the line's kind of a veteran group when you look at it. There's a lot of familiar faces there. New tight end group. I think we've had um, good work through 14 practices and the fact that we can kind of bring it all together in a, on Saturday will be fun. But um, there is a lot of new faces and so it's, it's, a, it's a good fresh start. And here we are. It's the red-white spring game on Saturday. Sean Callahan, Robin Washington, A. Klaus, as we get you geared up for the 1 o'clock red-white game here on Saturday. Over 70,000 tickets had been sold as of Thursday. Depending on how the weather breaks here on Saturday, you know we could see that 80,000 record um, you know, potentially challenged. That was uh, Bo Pelini's first year, 2008, um, is the only year Nebraska has hit that 80,000 mark. And there's a legitimate chance. I think for sure you're going to see the second biggest crowd in spring game history. But uh, Mike Riley, kind of a curveball, Robin, um, announced that they are going to go with a um, you know two split teams. I think all of us kind of assumed it would be offense versus defense. And, and they're going to kind of make it an interesting game, um, put Lee and O'Brien on different teams and, and, and kind of really break this up and uh, kind of do a split squad scrimmage. Yeah, I'm sure I'm with a lot of people where I was very relieved to hear that. Uh, I just do not like that defensive scoring method spring game. Like you don't even know what's happening during it. Uh, it's just just weird. Like is yeah, it- like last year, uh, Patrick O'Brien on that last play, really no one understood the magnitude of him throwing that interception. Yeah, it cost cost whatever team he was on the game. Like all he had to do was eat the ball, and they would have won the game. Yeah. And and he threw a pick, and they lost. Yeah, so I'm glad they're doing away with that and actually playing some real football here. I think that's just from an entertainment value makes such for a better product. So uh, good on the coaching staff for realizing that and. Uh, two, I think it's going to create better competition. Um, you know, I'm, I'm really excited to see, you know, this kind of quote-unquote Lee versus O'Brien uh, going head-to-head. But what's going to be interesting is it's going to just be a mixed match, uh, kind of a, a drafted two teams, you know, by the coaching staff when they meet. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see kind of what those units are made up of. But um, I, I guess that's kind of – I know the big concerns were just some of the depth at some positions of whether they were going to do it this way. Uh, wide receiver was certainly one, especially with some of the injuries they were dealing with, um, you know, earlier this week. Uh, they must feel good enough about that uh, to to go ahead and go to teams, and I think it will make for a much better spring game as a result. Yeah, I agree. I, I like the draft. I think you you keep it kind of fresh and fun with that. I know the players um, were excited to hear that. that prior to uh, you know, after Riley spoke today, they had no idea how what the format was going to be. So, um, and they were excited about the draft, and and I like the fact that you're not going to see the first team offense against you know the the third team yes. defense. I mean, you really can't gain, gain a whole lot of out, out of that. Remember so, when it was ones versus the world? And yeah, it, it was just like you'd put like the worst guys on one team, and then all the studs were on that one. Was terrible. And it was terrible. It, it, it led like a feel-good type of day. You know, you'd have 
kind of like the number ones would dominate, and, and that's what fans kind of want to see. This might at least lead to better competition, Nate. Well, and that's the key word, competition. I, I feel like this entire spring, uh, the coaching staff has done a great job of fostering competition at every position across the board, and um, and, and I don't think that's – by mistake, I, I think they, they've done that on purpose, and and I think the team in general has really bought into that, and, and it, I think that's good going forward. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, Robin Washington, and Nate Klaus as we get you ready for Saturday's red-white spring game. Um, it will be on the Big Ten Network, taped delayed at four. So if you can't be in Memorial Stadium, you can't watch it. You can watch it live on BTN to go. Um, I, I believe you have to have a cable subscription though to log that in. Um, but otherwise, you can wait until 4 o'clock. Um, if you don't have cable, the next day, NET will air the game. Um, I believe 6 o'clock is when they're going to do their showing, an hour and a half. Uh, they'll show the full game. So Nebraska will run two traditional quarters, 15-minute uh, stopping clock quarters, TV timeouts, officiating everything. And then the second half will be two 15-minute quarters with running clock. So uh, that second half will fly by pretty quick. Um, where the first half will we'll have kind of a longer feel to it. Um, I'd imagine you know the the most of that second half is going to be a lot of the lower string guys, Robin. Yeah, uh, that's you know I think it's a good balance. You know you don't obviously don't want to put your guys in harm's way, and so uh, you're giving them you know a full half of relatively real football. And you know as a fan, that's pretty much all you can ask for for a spring game. I mean we've seen some pretty. Uh, terrible <laughs> spring games over the years where uh, it's just really not fun to watch and I think this is probably the best case scenario for providing entertainment but also doing what's best for your football team well I'm just glad we're not going to see any gimmicks like offensive linemen catching punts yes. out there or anything and um, and this is how every spring game is the first half is I, th- I feel like the crowd is always kind of into it and and once that second half or at least once you get through about half of the third quarter people uh, head over, head yeah, over to people berries. start kind of <laughs> yeah you, you kind of lose interest and uh, but it's still cool I think for that second half for a lot of the guys a lot of the walk-ons a lot of the guys who are are new in the program younger guys to uh, to get a lot of playing time in front of in front of a crowd um, you know they, they work real hard for this and uh, it, it's a pretty cool moment for them to, to be able to be out there in Memorial Stadium and uh, getting some playing time. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washington, Nate Klaus, as we talk spring game here for Saturday. Nate, and I wanted to bring this up to you because you've been around it um, for all of them, and so have I now, um, as far as kind of when this spring game kind of became a marketing phenomenon. I remember it was Steve. I mean, people want to brag on Steve Peterson, but – it was Steve Peterson and Bill Callahan that kind of mm-hmm. created the monster before. Because I, I remember spring games before 2004. And, and there were 20,000, 30,000 fans. Um, I think in 96 or, or 94, one of those ni- mid-90s, they drew 60 right after a national championship. But um, they created kind of a giant where they made it a spectacle. And you've seen other teams now like Alabama and Ohio State, Penn State, uh, that have kind of you know duplicated. It's almost kind of become an arms race. Who's got the best fan base? Whose fans will show up for a scrimmage? Um, and, and really, you make the day more of a celebration of your fan base. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of a bragging rights. How, how many fans did you get to your spring game? You know, and uh, and a lot of it has to do with recruiting. I'd say ninety. 90- 
5% of it has to do with recruiting. Obviously, um, you know, you, you want to, you want to show off your product to the fans because they're the kind of the, the heartbeat and the, the pulse of the program. Um, because without them, there wouldn't really be a program, but at the same time, you want bragging rights for all these recruits. You want to have an environment that is, is rare and, and different and, and be able to get a bunch of these kids in here, um, and kind of give them that really good first impression in most cases. So, um, I, I like what what has become of the spring game, and and I think that uh, the staff has done a good job of of kind of you know continuing that. And the storylines are plentiful. You're going to have Bob Diaco on defense, the quarterbacks, uh, the recruiting. I mean, it, it's going to be just one of those days where, from our perspective, I don't even know where we start. I mean, we're going to have so much. I mean, between covering the game, kind of closing the storylines to the recruiting, um, Robin. It, I mean, it's just going to be one of those days where you know we're going to have to you know just kind of figure it out. I mean, because there's there's so much that will be going on for us. Yeah, burn the midnight oil, but in a good way. Uh, you know, it, it kind of speaks to not only the event that the spring game is and um, the actual team stuff, but the, the recruiting event that it's become uh, is really made for a unique kind of phenomenon around this program. And so it's, it's fun. Um, you know, I think it's a, it's a great thing uh, just to, to draw attention to your program um, and, you know, get some momentum going, going into the off season. And, um, you know, like I said, with the way that they're handling this, I think it'll be a fun product to watch uh, for the fans, get some good football out of it. And uh, for the coaching staff, you know, one last evaluation and then uh, go full force on the recruiting front. Yeah, no question about it. I, I think uh, for the fans, it gives you, you know, one one last taste of football in, until next fall. So hopefully, this will tide you over until then. And um, you know, on the recruiting end of things, I mean, you can't. I mean, I don't even know where to begin because this is by far and away the biggest the biggest deal. I mean, you plan the birth date of your second child around this yeah. recruiting weekend. <laughs> yeah, that's that's not a and lie. That, that's not a lie, Husker no, fans. That's not a that's lie. Not a lie. Uh, this is. I have no idea how on earth I'm going to be able to to attempt to cover this uh, with as many big time players as going to be on campus. But it's a good problem to have. I mean. Um, if you're a fan of the program, you have to be excited about what's taking place on Saturday. All right, well, we come back. We're going to get you ready for the game itself. We're going to talk offensive storylines to watch. We'll talk defense. We're going to take your questions in the mailbag. And then Nate Klaus will close the show uh, with a full preview of the recruiting weekend. That's all next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. As soon as we can. Um, I think taking that uh, next week and really evaluating the entire spring, just having a lot, you know, a lot of meetings and talks about where we're at and where we need to be. Um, I don't have a date, but we we're going to get going on that as soon as we can, and and uh, the discussions have already begun. And we don't want to have it necessarily drag out forever, but uh, I I can't give you a day either. So, but it's. It's a thing that we, a decision that we want to make soon and, you know, just get going with it. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. That was offensive coordinator Danny Langsdorf uh, giving his answer to a question about when do you plan to announce a starting quarterback between Tanner Lee, Patrick O'Brien. Welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, and Nate Klaus. I think I speak for all of us at the table here. Uh, we think Tanner Lee is the guy. Um, I just think there's a way to do this the right way to kind of delicately do it where you keep everybody in check. Um, but, you know, to me, Saturday can be an opportunity for Tanner Lee to really show Husker Nation that he's the guy. And to be really fair, though, Patrick O'Brien's had a great spring as well. 
and I believe this. They need both of them, especially with the questions on the offensive line. You need two really good quarterbacks because the odds of one of these guys getting hurt um, for a game or whatever, uh, I, I still believe are pretty high where you want that second guy ready to roll. Well, we saw what happened last year. I mean, you have to have two viable quarterbacks that are ready to go at a moment's notice. And, um, you know, Nebraska even got to the point where they needed three of them. Uh, and so, I mean, I think that you could not have picked a better way to handle this situation than the way Nebraska has done it this spring. Um, you created complete 50-50 opportunity for both these guys to compete for this job and to go out and win it on the field. And as a player, that's all you can ask for. Uh, I mean, you, 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 you basically, if you're, you hand the job to one guy going into spring, you're not doing anybody any good. Uh, and so by doing it the way they have, um, you know, there's, there's nothing either of these guys can complain about. They've both gotten their fair share to, to show what they can do. And, you know, like I, like you said, you know, I think we all agree that Tanner Lee is the guy, but Patrick O'Brien has gotten every opportunity uh, to make his case and he's done very well. And so I don't think the separation is that big at all. And that's a good thing uh, because, uh, you know, while even whenever they name the starter, whether it's right after the spring game or just before fall camp or somewhere in between, uh, I, th- I have a feeling that competition is going to continue. They're going to create that aura of competitiveness every single practice to where Tanner Lee cannot take a day off. Uh, just because Patrick O'Brien is so close on his heels and is not that far behind that, um, you know, like, like I said, if, if whether Tanner gets hurt or ha- has a couple bad games, I mean, they have the luxury of having a very capable guy behind him to step in. Well, I think this is what you get when you have a veteran head coach at the helm and running things. Uh, this is, like you, like you said, Robin, you really couldn't have handled it much better than Mike Riley and Danny Linksdorf have. And uh, and I feel like there was a lot of talk heading into the spring that, boy, you know, Tanner Lee's the guy. Is Patrick O'Brien, you know, a risk for being a transfer yeah. if he's not the, the player? Well, I don't think that's the case anymore because he has gotten a legitimate shot at this thing because they've done a great job of splitting the splitting up the reps and and giving each one of these guys the opportunity to put it on film. And at the end of the day, I do think that Tanner Lee is is, is the one who probably got the edge. But I tell you what, like you said, it, it's really close and. Um, you know, from what we've seen, he's one play away from you know Patrick O'Brien's one play away from being into the game, and um, and what's most exciting about it is he's a redshirt freshman and he's done so well uh, when he he walked into kind of a, a tough situation this spring because all anyone was talking about was Tanner Lee heading into the spring and, and he he came in and uh, and battled every single day for it so uh, I think that's pretty exciting and and I think the future is bright uh, even beyond Tanner Lee with with Patrick yeah O'Brien. I'll say this guys i mean i think one two it's as comfortable or good as nebraska's been in a while uh, when you feel like i mean you think about the drop off from one to two it's been pretty significant the last several years um and then even when you put jebby in there as the third guy i don't know if there's been a third guy that's looked like jebby yeah, i can't I mean, either so uh, it's really exciting i mean there was that one year where martinez cody glenn and or cody green and, and um zach lee were all together uh, but they, I mean, they weren't as skilled as these quarterbacks. I mean, this is a good one, two, three down the bottom, across the board. Yeah, I mean, you could make a case that all three of these guys could be legitimate <coughs> Division One starters. Uh, and uh, you know, I mean, they have pro potential. Exactly, I mean, that's they a fair. Have, I mean, you got to say they're pros, but they have pro potential. I mean, that, that's a, I think a correct way to say it because they have the ability to be 
NFL guys, if they develop properly and they have those skill sets, we just haven't seen here in a while. I don't think there's any doubt about it. I mean, when you get guys like Billy Devaney making comments he did about Tanner Lee, obviously that shows how what kind of pro potential he has. Then the fact that Patrick O'Brien is so close behind him without ever having playing a college football live snap, uh, I mean, that shows the t- potential he has. And then Jebbia, he may have the best work ethic out of all of them. Danny Langsdorf uh, on Thursday made the comment that after the past few practices, you know, he's kind of locking things up, ready to leave the office. And there's Jebbia still in there studying film, going over plays. I mean, that kid is a machine. And, you know, for a, a kid that should still be in high school right now, to have that type of drive, I mean, the sky's the limit. Well, the thing that strikes me about this is that we're we're talking about this like – this is some groundbreaking deal that Nebraska yeah. actually has done. This is how it always should be. How it should be. It should not be, you know, one guy and then, oh, you know, hold on to your seats because who knows what's going to happen. It, there should be depth. And, and I think, the, again, tip your hat to the staff for, for actually creating that depth uh, when they walked into – you know, a pretty thin situation. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as, as we get you ready on offense here for the spring game on Saturday. Let's talk offensive line. Uh, I think that is really where the questions are. I mean, a lot of things I feel like are settled at running back, receiver, tight end. I mean, we kind of have a good picture there. Uh, but the offensive line has been um, kind of the uh, the whipping boy of the media, the fan base. I mean, Mike Cavanaugh has avoided interviews the last, I mean, several weeks. I mean, we haven't talked to Cav in a while. Um, you know, I, I don't know if that's by design, but today I didn't see him walk by us at all. Um, and, you know, I, I think there's been a lot of pressure put on him, a lot of talk about this line. Are they going to be able to get it done and protect these quarterbacks? And they made a big move this week with Cole Conrad to center. I think that was a move to like, you know what, let's get our best five on the field. Yeah. Let's stabilize this line and, and get it figured out. Well, I love that philosophy. Uh, I don't think you need to pigeonhole guys into one spot. Uh, you know, kind of just how they've they've gone about everything else with this roster. They're going to put the best players on the field. And if that means taking a guy that's vying for the right tackle job and moving him to center and he's your best center, you do it. I mean, they, they, they are taking the approach of if you're good enough, you will play. And, um, you know, Cole Conrad, to his credit, has really embraced this. I mean, to, to be a guy that was, you know, vying for one spot and suddenly make a complete, you know, position change, uh, I mean, he's taken it head on and has done really, really well there to where right now I would say he's the front runner to win that, win that job. So uh, it's it's good that they have, you know, that, that mindset, but – uh, they, they, the line needs to pick it up. There's no question about it. Um, there, it's the biggest red flag. And that's what separated Wisconsin and Iowa right. from Nebraska is right. the line play, correct? Yeah, and it shouldn't be uh, this big of an issue, in my opinion. I mean, this is a veteran group. I mean, five guys with starting experience. I mean, they, they actually have the luxury of you know not only experience, but they have talent, too. It's just not playing up to it. Uh, and I guess the good news is they still have five months before the first game, but uh, that has to be priority number one for this coaching staff to, to address whatever is going on with the O-line and get that thing figured out in a hurry. Yeah, I feel like there was so much turmoil in that group this past year um, that you really didn't know exactly what you had because you were always dealing with another event, another injury here, another another shakeup there, you know, <coughs> moving guys around or, or whatever the case may be. So, um, yeah, I, I think they've taken the approach of, of what we've seen on the defensive side of the ball. You know, you've had the secondary and linebackers, whatever, talk about trying to get the best four guys on the field, you know, the best group of, of players on the field. So I think that's what Cav is doing. And, um, and once again, I, I feel like 
with the offensive line, the one thing that people aren't really talking about is that they've had a little bit of an adjustment, you know, facing a new defense, facing this three-man front that they've never really blocked for again. I'm not making excuses for them, but that is one extra thing that they've had to kind Quit of – Quit making excuses, Nate. <laughs> they've had to – I mean, it, it is it factors into the situation, though. So um, I, I do think that this, this group is probably going to be better than what they've gotten credit for, but uh, certainly they need to keep improving. All right, when we come back, we're going to shift that discussion over – over to Bob Diaco and this defense and uh, what we'll expect to see, if anything, on Saturday, as uh, Bob Diaco has already kind of said, he may keep things pretty close to the vest. That's next year. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Uh, it was huge. Obviously, last year I wasn't able to participate in spring ball. Um, spring ball is a huge, huge tool for us. Uh, it's definitely something just kind of get the pads, get the rust off the pads in, in the middle of the, of the season there. So uh, it's definitely been big, obviously, especially with the new defense as well. So it, it's been really fun to kind of get reps against our starting offense. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show as we get you ready for Saturday's red-white spring game, uh, 1 o'clock here in Memorial Stadium. Sean Callahan, Robin Washington, Nate Klaus here with Husker Online Radio. And that was defensive tackle Mick Stoltenberg. And, guys, I think he's been really one of the stories of this defense. His transition to the nose tackle. Do you guys call it nose tackle or nose guard? I go nose guard. I'm a nose tackle guy myself. I'm kind of well, nose tackle. Okay, fine. Let's go tackle. I don't know. But, yeah, nose tackle, Let's nose guard. Nose. Nose, nose. The nose. Yeah. But Mick Stoltenberg plays the nose. And I think that was like everyone was like, oh, he's not Vince Wolfwork. He's not some big 6'4", 360-pound guy in the middle. Um, but you know, I think he has been one of the real dominating players, one of the guys that you know could you know in the next two years have all Big Ten type ability if, if he develops in this defense. He may be the most dominating player that we've seen this spring. I mean, uh, the big question, like you said, was with his height at being six five, would he be able to have six six? Well, six six. Would he have the leverage uh, to be able to be that kind of block eater that is so pivotal in a three four defense at the nose? Uh, and, you know, would, would he be just pushed back because, you know, he couldn't get lower than the lineman? Well, um, that hasn't been an issue. In fact, uh, Bob Diaco earlier this week was asked directly about that with, was there ever any concern about mixed height uh, and how that would kind of translate to, to him playing that position? And he said, it doesn't matter how tall you are. As long as you play with good leverage and have good explosion off the ball, you're going to do just fine. And Mick has done more than fine. Uh, I mean, he's destroying plays. He's blowing through the offensive line, making sacks, tackles in the backfield, uh, plays that uh, a nose in a 3-4 defense probably shouldn't be making. And uh, we all knew he was a freak uh, physically. I mean, he's an absolute monster, uh, just the way he's put together. But from a from a skill standpoint, he is thriving in this defense. And like you said, Sean, I, I think that all-conference uh, is definitely within the realm of possibility with him. Yeah, Mick is one of those guys that blocks out the sun when he when he goes outside. He's such such a huge guy, but I think for as impressive as he has been on the football field, I think one thing people aren't talking enough about are, are his leadership yeah. skills that he's developed. I mean, uh, and it all started after the bowl game. He walking off that field, he grabbed the Davis twins and put his arms around those guys and said, "Hey, we're we're next up. We we have to correct this heading into next year. We have to work harder than we've ever had to work before, and, and uh, so on and so forth." And 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 he 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 took over that role immediately after that bowl game. And uh, I remember talking with him about. 
about it after the game, and and uh, the Davis twins and all those defensive linemen this spring have have mentioned how much of a leader Mick Stoltenberg has been. And, and for a younger guy that hasn't played a ton of football yet, I think that's pretty rare. You're listening here to the Husker Line Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washington, Nate Klaus. As uh, we talk about this defense, and in general, guys, I think this defensive line has been one of the strengths of the defense. I mean, I feel like 1-11, to 11, you have to like a lot of what they have. I think my only question might be Alex Davis and his new role. Can he be effective there? Is he fit there? But you look at the D-line in general, Carlos Davis, Mick Stoltenberg, Freedom Akamaladun, they have about seven good linebackers. Even with the JoJo Doman injury, I think the secondary has um, some good material to work with. And, and you got Bob Diaco. I mean, I think this has come together in a short time, about as well as you could have hoped, considering the changes they've made here with the new coordinator. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I don't think anybody thought the defense would be this far along uh, so early in the process. And, uh, I mean, that's a real testament to guys buying in to what Bob Diaco and uh, this coaching staff are preaching. Uh, I mean, that it doesn't happen this quickly if guys aren't 100% all in, and that's been the case. And I think that's kind of a, a kind of a reflection of just Diaco's energy and what what he does uh, to basically just capture the the entire tension of a defense, and um, that goes a long way in a transition like this. And it's not going to be seamless. I mean, this defense is going to have its issues at some point this season, but. Uh, I don't like I said the the progress that they've made in just a few weeks uh, has really been remarkable and if they can continue at this rate uh, this defense will be significantly better than most people would have thought. Well, I think we're seeing why they wanted to make this change from a personnel standpoint. Uh, when when you see how well the that defensive line is kind of taken to the change, how well the linebackers are fitting into things uh, for the most part, and and of course there's a lot of talent in that secondary. But um, and then Riley went out and. Got Got an expert three-four guy. I mean, Bob Diaco. Two experts, really. Bob well, yeah, Elliott and Bob Diaco. Exactly, uh, and that was the, Elliott could end up being the the sneaky key acquisition like from the Yo- coaching. He, he's like the Yoda of the defense. Exactly. <laughs> that's that's just true. Nice. Uh, so, but and then on top of Diaco being the expert, he's also brought this energy and this passion back to this defense with this black shirt defense. But let's agree on this. He's kind of a different dude. The guy can coach defense. I mean, uh, you're not going to have too many personal conversations with the guy, but I mean, the dude can coach defense. There's no question about it. I mean, uh, he's he is dialed in, locked in, OCD. I mean, whatever you want to say about it, he he is that guy. Uh, but but he's gotten these guys to raise their game to a new level, to to be passionate about what they do each and every single day. And and I, for from my perspective, that has been very interesting and fun to watch this spring. And what's fun is if you kind of watch the way he coaches a lot of the stuff just kind of seems come off as a little corny Mm -hmm. you know and but the way that he sells it and the just the pure passion and belief he has behind everything that he does instantly reflects onto his players and they've just they've they've soaked it up man and uh you know it's 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 only corner corny if you don't believe in it and these guys believe in it and that's going to make a huge difference uh in just the progression rate of you know this whole process and here's the difference he's got a body of work to back it up i mean his accolades and credentials from notre dame i think that gets guys attention i mean younger guys don't really have much of a recollection you know more than four or five years and what he did at notre dame i think got these guys' attention. He took a team to the national title. And no knock on Mark Banker, but 
I don't think he had the clout, you know, where if he, you know, talked about things he did or whatnot. I mean, many guys, he didn't really have much of a resume um, that, you know, with his past credentials, like a Bob Diaco, where immediately I think Rob and his credentials get guys' his attention. Well, when you coach a defense as good as the 2012 Notre Dame defense, you, you got some clout to you. I mean, you're darn near a national championship defense, and uh, that that goes a long way. And again, you know, with, with all these you know things that he's trying to do and new ideas and wrinkles, uh, when you have that resume behind you to say, "Look, I've done it. I've won with this uh, at you know the highest of levels," uh, that that makes it easier for guys to buy in. And so that's definitely been a huge part uh, in just kind of the, the how smooth this transition is. Has been thus far well and like i said earlier this is this is what happens when you have an experienced head coach running running things i, I think you know diaco's not just some dude off the street this, this guy knows what he's doing and uh and mike riley has fully entrusted him to run every aspect of this defense from from installing it to to uh being flexible and in, in how he changes things to adjust to the personnel uh to to the way that they're recruiting to it now he's leaving his foot his fingerprints on every aspect of this defense you're listening here to the Oscar line show as we give some final thoughts here on the defense and, and what we'll see tomorrow and guys um the linebacker position too I want to wrap up on this uh that's going to be um exciting to watch Joshua Kalu that's one guy with his move to safety we still don't have a great feel but that's another thing I'll be watching closely how he kind of looks out there Robin yeah and there was one maybe the big kind of defensive storyline you know his move there when a two-year starter is suddenly uprooted uh and thrown into a completely different position but i i do think that that fits him well just with his natural skill sets and also along with that uh it kind of signifies the rise of lamar jackson uh, i mean this this guy that uh, had a lot of hype coming in and for him to kind of force the issue a little bit to move a guy like Kalu to a new position, uh, I mean, that says a lot about what this coaching staff thinks of him and um, maybe his potential in this defense. Yeah, I think Lamar Jackson's a guy who's about to arrive, if, if that's what you want to call it. And uh, and I'm excited about the move uh, from uh, Kalu from corner to safety there. Uh, I think it adds a lot of flexibility to the defense uh, in, in how they decide to, to attack things, how whether they decide to stay in a base or go to a, go to nickel or whatever. But, um, yeah, there's there's a lot of storylines to watch on, on Saturday on that defensive side. You, you could really go position by position, to be honest. All right, when we come back, we're going to take your questions here in the mailbag as Husker Online intern David Eichel will join us here next. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Yeah, I think that actually that competition between those two guys is really close right now. And Devine's doing well too, but I think that those first, those other two are, that's pretty close. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, and Nate Klaus as we open up the mailbag here uh, as we get ready for Saturday's red-white spring game. That was head coach Mike Riley discussing the running back battle um, and how tight that is between uh, Trey Bryant and Mikael Wilbon and even Divino Zigbo. But uh, it's time to take your questions, and because we're taping it at a different time this week, uh, we can have our other intern on, David Eichel. Um, David, great to have you on the show here this week. What do you got for us in the mailbag? It's finally good to be back. Uh, first off, how is Freedom Akinmolnum progressing in the new scheme change? I think um, it's honestly been a good fit for him because I never looked at Freedom as like a true pin-your-ears-back defensive end. I, I think he's a bigger body. He's not a Randy Gregory. And I, I think this scheme 
um, maybe allows him to thrive more uh, because he's legitimately, I mean, he's probably like a 4940 guy. He's not going to blaze by uh, offensive tackles off the edge consistently. So, um, honestly, to me, it's a good fit. Yeah, I've been really pleasantly surprised with uh, just his performance this spring. In fact, there was one play. Um, you know, earlier this spring where, you know, he was going one-on-one with Nick Gates and just kind of D-line, O-line blocking drills. And he took Nick Gates back, chest up, basically got his hands under Gates's pads and pushed him all the way back into the tackling dummy uh, for what would technically be a sack. So uh, I think that he's looking like a different player this year. And, you know, it's just another one of the guys you can add to that list that are really thriving under this change of scheme under Bob Diaco. I'd have to agree with you guys. I, I don't think freedom's ever really been that that pass rush specialist and, he, and i think this scheme fits his strengths a lot better he's more of a guy who could um you know kind of help from help keep the offense from setting that edge and, and be kind of that that strong force on the outside there uh are some of the offensive line struggles due to coach langsdorf returning an unabridged playbook this spring um no i mean I mean that's just, I don't even understand the question I guess <laughs> but because um, the playbook last year was completely different with Tommy Armstrong Tommy Armstrong avoided a lot of sacks last year um, Nebraska ranked towards the bottom in sacks because of Tommy's ability to uh, avoid a lot of that stuff but um, I think a lot of it is just Nick Gates has not been Nick Gates um, David Neville's kind of growing into his own I think he's come on and now they've put Cole Conrad at center. So I, I'm expecting a stronger finish from this group. I think they did a lot of experimenting. They gave Michael Decker, John Raritan their looks. Now it's going to be Cole Conrad at center. Um, I think this line will you know, finish the spring at least on a high note on Saturday. I think one thing that's kind of being overlooked in all this O-line discussion is how well the D-line has been playing. Uh Guys like Mick Stoltenberg, Good point. the Davis Twins, Freedom, who we just talked about, they're playing really, really well this spring. And so, yes, the O-line is struggling, but it's not just a, a matter of them being downright bad. I think the o, the D-line uh, is playing at a higher level, uh, and they're really thriving in this scheme. And so I think it's a combination there to where it's not just a matter of a complete regression on the offensive side. Well, and to kind of piggyback off that, I, I think one thing a lot of people aren't really taking into consideration is that this offensive line has really never had to block a three-man front before. They're seeing things they've never had to deal with before, uh, different pressures, different looks. and, and there's, So there's some adjusting in that realm, too, aside from kind of um, you know, messing with, with the lineup up front. So I, I think there's a lot of variables in place there, and, and uh, I do think that this, this group is going to be better than what a lot of people are giving them credit for right now. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Day Klaus. We're taking your questions with David Eichholder, Husker Online intern here in the mailbag. What do you got for us next, Dave? Uh, who is this year's breakout spring game player on offense and defense? You know, I'm going to throw up because usually it's it's kind of an under the radar guy. You know, somebody that is not necessarily a front line starter. Um, you know, I think Tyler Hoppus would be an easy one because he's going to start tight end. But I'll put Connor Young. I think Connor Young's a receiver. Um, I could see him getting a lot of opportunities, especially now that they're going to divide it up into two equal teams. Uh, defensively, Avery Roberts, Muhammad Barry, one of those two linebackers, I think is going to kind of leave a lot of people excited about their potential for the future. All right, I'm going to go on offense. I'm going to go the second coming of Danny Woodhead in Wyatt Mejour. Uh, I think that he's going to get a lot of carries late in the game, and he's going to put up some numbers. This guy is shifty. I think he took Nate's. 
<laughs> I may yes. have. Sorry, Nate. Uh, he is shifty in space, and he just makes guys miss. And uh, there's a reason this coaching staff really likes him, and they're going to try and find ways – uh, you know, to get him as as, as involved as they can uh, this season. On defense, I'm going to go Eric Lee. Uh, <laughs> I think I just took Nate's full guy. So, uh, Nate and I, obviously great minds. Uh, so, Eric Lee has really, I mean, he's another one of those guys that has just really picked it up um, with this transition in defense. He's right now the number one nickel. Uh, I think he's number two corner in the base. And, and I, he's just really kind of starting to, take those strides to becoming the type of player everybody thought he was going to be when he came here as a four-star recruit. Okay, now that Robin's taken both of <laughs> my luck. guys, <laughs> I, I'm going to go with J.D. Spielman on offense. Um, you know, coming off his redshirt year, no one has really been able to see him in action yet, and, and he's had a very good spring. Uh, and I know that Keith Williams is very excited about the future for, for Taz, uh, as his nickname is. Uh, and uh, and I see him kind of making a couple big plays in, in space um, this this weekend. And, and on defense, I'm going to go with Luke Gifford. He, he's had uh, – he's finally healthy. Uh, he's got, been able to, to go through a spring uh, healthy, and uh, and he's really been pushing Marcus Newby. So I, I think that uh, Luke Gifford could be in store for, for a big spring game. Really quick, I think another guy to keep in mind is Brian Reimers, who they call Odell Reimers. Okay, Matt. <laughs> All right, Matt. Uh, I, I think he's been big time. Uh, I think he'll really show people he's getting some playing time this season. But anyway. <laughs> Did we ask for your thoughts? <laughs> Fourth off, I think Matt would appreciate that. Uh, how is the tandem of Diaco and Bray coaching the linebacker core working out so far? I mean, so far, so good. You watch the scrimmages and, and, and what they've done. I mean, the linebackers have been – I feel like there's seven guys that can play there right now today. Marcus Newby, Chris Weber, Dedrick Young, Alex Davis. Then you've got um, Gifford and then Avery Roberts and, and Muhammad Berry. And we haven't even seen Colin Miller. And, and they, they say he can play. So I – I, I like what they've done with that group. You really got to tip your hat to both those guys, especially Trent Bray. This could have been an extremely awkward, uncomfortable situation had Trent Bray not been as professional about all this as he has been. Uh, I mean, it was a weird deal. Basically, you're kind of just giving up 50% of your position coaching duties uh, to this new guy who's taken over your defense and completely changing um, your, the way you've been coaching defense. But Trent Bray not only is adjusting well, I mean, he they're, they're hitting this thing, you know, full stride. Uh, the linebacking unit is maybe the strength of the defense right now, uh, and there's a really bright future with that group. And so um, you really got to commend Trent for just taking this deal and running with it. I agree with you, Robin. I, I think the way that Trent Bray has really embraced this change probably helped the the linebacking group do the same, and, and really maybe even the defense. And a lot of those linebackers have commented that that it's nice to have um, you know kind of get coaching from two different guys in, in the span of a week as they alternate different groups and whatnot. And um, you got you got a lot of experience there talking with that group in, in the room. So um, I think it's gone very very well, about as good as you could hope for. Are we got time? for one more david uh would you rather buy tim miles stock or united airlines stock right now i, I think i mean you know both of them are be bad buys today but guys when you buy airline tickets you buy the cheapest flight i mean who in here is going to pay 100 bucks more to fly an american I mean, united honestly is kind of high most of the time anyway from my experience um, but at a lincoln it really is your best option um, to go through chicago or go through denver um, on the flight. So Robin and I have flown United and we've had 
maybe one or two bad. I mean, this year we almost crashed. I mean, that, that was fun. Outside of that. I mean, literally, 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 it was so foggy. We were on a United flight. Um, was it Indiana? We we're coming back from Indiana. Uh, yeah, I think so. And we're coming back, and it was so foggy they they missed they couldn't read the depth of the runway, and they go down to land, and they pulled up. Yeah. Like, like we're going down, and they pulled up, and then they circled around, and we're getting off the plane, and and we see the two pilots cussing, and they're fired up, and. Um, so that was a scary experience. Dan you Hop- told your wife that story, right? Oh, yeah, we did. But oh, okay. we gave her the PG-13. Right. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I would probably still buy United. I mean, it's an air- it's a big airline company. They're not, they're not going to fall apart. They'll grow from it. Yeah, I'm sure United is going to be worth more. But if you want to get bang for your buck, lowest price possible, uh, you're going to give 10 miles. Uh, Look at you. I, I don't think his stock has been lower. Uh, clearly has not been lower than it is right now. Uh so I mean, United is what it is. You know, you're, you're going to get you know, airplane. Like you said, it's not like Sean says, it's not going to change. But I think the potential of getting more reward for a dirt cheap stock price is with Tim. O'Hare just tarnishes everyone's view of United anyway, because O'Hare is the worst airport ever. There's no like tram system when you go to the airport. There's terrible restaurants. I mean, that alone makes United kind of have a, a bad experience. I'm not investing in either one of these two. I, I'm putting my money in a low risk mutual fund or something. I, I think. I think. <laughs> I think. Awful guy has answer. a second kid, and all of a sudden he turns into old, yeah. just conservative dad. With that, we're gonna go to break. <laughs> all right. Well, that wraps it up here in the mailbag. When we come back, we're gonna close it out with recruiting. Nate Klaus has plenty of information to share as this will be one of the biggest recruiting weekends we've ever seen in Lincoln. That's next here to close the show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. You've been around recruiting weekends, but is this the most offered recruits you've seen on a campus at one time? Yeah, probably so. It's, without a doubt, really, uh, it's crazy. It's uh, crazy in a good way, but yeah, it's definitely been the, the you know the most I've been around. What do you I mean since it's you're restricted with the the visit rules? I mean since it's an unofficial season, what what can you guys really do since you can't give them like free meals or anything when they're here on these unofficial visits? Just kind of when they get here, you know, just, just make sure they're around the atmosphere. Let them see everything that we have to offer once they, once they get on campus. And then, uh, you know, just let them soak it all in. Uh-huh. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Final segment here as we close on recruiting like we do every week. And in our 109 episodes we've done here of the Husker Online Show for 109 weeks, Nate Klaus, this might be the biggest recruiting weekend on paper We've been a part of, I mean, really the biggest recruiting weekend on paper as far as pure prospects on campus, maybe ever in Nebraska football history. Well, there's no on paper about it. I mean, I think this is by far and away uh, the biggest one, at least in the quote unquote modern era, you know, ever since, um, you know, after the championship era, I, I guarantee you this is the most high-profile weekend that, that we've ever seen. Um, you know, last year you had, I, I think it was you know, 12 four-stars on campus, or no, 12 offered guys on campus, nine four-stars I think it was, um, and that was arguably one of the bigger ones we'd ever seen. Well, now you're, you're pushing 20 four-stars coming in this weekend. You're pushing uh, 40 offered guys on campus, including the, the 2,000. Uh, 18, 2019, 2020 classes. I mean, this is, this is, you know, I, I hate to 
go all, all hyperbolic on it, but this is a potentially program changing weekend if you if you uh, if you play your cards right. So um, a very very exciting weekend. You're listening here to the Husker Online Show as we get you geared up for this big recruiting weekend. Nate, and you've been on the other side of it. You've been Todd McShane. You've been these guys at Nebraska. How the hell do you manage 30-some <laughs> guys with offers? You can't buy them a meal. You can't go to their hotel. You can't give them a room. You can't buy them anything. You can't pick them up. What do you do? How do you build this thing up um, You know, logistically with the restrictions uh, that they're faced with on an unofficial visit? Organization, organization, organization. I mean, you you have to be extremely detailed about every single minute that you have with these guys because your time is limited. Uh, so I think the staff has to utilize every second that these guys are in town, whether that's fitting in an academic meeting on on uh, on a Friday morning when they're here, or or a Friday evening, or, or whatever. Uh, you have to utilize every second that they're on campus, and you have to know where you're at in the recruiting process with each each and every one of these guys some of these guys it's their first time that they've ever been here uh, so they are kind of a blank slate you have to teach them everything there is to know about the university and what they offer a student athlete and and about the direction of the program you know in a matter of of 24 hours in some cases and, and other guys they've been here two three four times so they have a good base and now it's it's you're taking that next step you're you're taking that relationship kind of to the next level and and really Really, um, you know, getting getting a personal touch on everything, and, and maybe taking it a step closer to, to securing a commitment. So, uh, I, I think you have to you kind of have a have to have a detailed approach to each and every single guy, and, and know where those guys are at on your recruiting board, because that will definitely dictate how much personal attention you give these guys. All right, Nate. There's so much to cover as far as this weekend and what it means for Nebraska. We surely can't get through all the prospects that are going to be here. Um, in five or six minutes. Uh, but if you were just to kind of paint the picture um, for your average Joe Husker fan that follows recruiting casually but may not know every guy here, what I mean, what are two or three things or trends for them to watch this weekend? Well, I think you have to start with Brendan Radley Hiles, Buki. Uh, is is a kid who's who's making his fourth visit in the past year. Last year's spring game was the first time that he had ever been on Nebraska's campus, and he basically that was a last second visit. He he uh, he came with Keyshawn Johnson Jr., Tristan Jebbia, um, and that was a last second deal. He wasn't even supposed to come that weekend, but he just ended up making the trip along with uh, his cousin Tyjon Lindsey, uh, who ended up signing with Nebraska. So there's a lot of connections there, and, and Buki's a guy who is known from coast to coast. Uh, he, he's kind of a trendsetter. He, he's uh, he's what I call an influencer. And so <laughs> when you have a guy who's been on campus four times and who is as big of a high-profile player as he is, um, you you have to take that next step with him. And so I think he's a guy to watch, um, you know, for Nebraska to, to potentially land uh, a commitment from at some point in time. And, and he could be kind of that tipping point in this recruiting class whenever, if and when that, that decision does come. Uh, uh, and I think you have to you have to pay attention to some of the the California kids that are coming into into town, um, you know, along with uh, Buki, who's now at IMG Academy, but originally from from California. Uh, but also pay attention to uh, Texas and Missouri. Uh, you, you've got a handful of Texas kids on campus. Calvin Avery, 
who is teammates with Damian Daniels, who signed with Nebraska this past year, is making his second trip. Uh, he's going to be there with a handful of his teammates, uh, Brian Williams, Marquise Beeson, uh, underclassmen uh, that have, have visited before. Mar- Beeson's is his first trip here. But uh, you're seeing Nebraska kind of pay more attention to, to Texas and try to get in there. And, and they have the potential to, to kind of really solidify themselves with a certain uh, you know a certain amount of high-profile programs there. Uh, Grant Gannell, maybe the top quarterback, one of the top quarterbacks in the 2019 class, is making his second trip uh, to Nebraska since December. Um, so that's an underclassman storyline to watch there. And then Missouri, like I mentioned, you've got Mario Goodrich, who's a Rivals 250 athlete out of Lee Summit West, a program that Nebraska has has landed recruits out of before with Bo Wilson, um, you know Monte Harrison, a dynamic athlete there who is very high on the Huskers. Uh, you've got Michael Thompson, uh, a Rivals 250 a defensive lineman, but Nebraska's <laughs> recruiting him as an offensive lineman. And oddly enough, he's open to that idea. Uh, and he's making his first trip to Nebraska. And we've been beating that St. Louis drum an awful lot. Um, and, and to get Michael Thompson on, on campus, I think, is is very important deal, along with uh, a guy like Ronnie Perkins, who's a fast-rising defensive end out of the area. And I think if you can get one of those St. Louis guys, um, maybe a Kansas City guy like Goodrich, that's going to lead to to two or three other commitments out of that state. I, I, I guarantee you that. Um, but, uh, I mean, there's so many different storylines here. But, uh, I mean, those are just a, a couple of the, the more, I guess, higher-profile storylines that kind of pay attention to at this point in time. Nate, I'm going to be that guy. I know you, this is a hard question you get asked. I'm not going to ask you what exact names, but if you were to kind of handicap it, what is a realistic scenario as far as maybe commit number that could come out of the weekend uh, by Sunday, Monday? Well, okay, I'll kind of give away one of my secrets. The general rule of thumb, it's the 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 ten, the rule of ten, uh, in my opinion. Every time you get a group of ten recruits on campus, I guarantee you one of those kids is going to commit. Uh, and you're going to be pushing close to 40 offered kids on campus. So I think it's not unrealistic to say that that there could be at least you know four commits to come from this weekend. Uh, now, whether or not it happens on Saturday, I, I don't know. Uh, I think that there's a possibility that some of these guys go home and, and think things through and, and talk more with their parents or with their coaches about things. But um, you know, if I were to put a number on it, I would say you know a, a very conservative number would be an over over under of two and a half, and I think they're going to easily hit that over. Uh, I think they'll get probably three commits out of this weekend, or or within seventy two hours after the weekend. And I guarantee you that um, by the time signing day rolls around, we'll be looking back at this spring game and, and saying, OK, this is the catalyst for one heck of a class, even though it's a smaller class uh, and Nebraska had to be very selective with who they were recruiting. Well, it should be a, a very, very busy weekend on Husker Online as we all have complete coverage of the red-white game and then the recruiting weekend. I think there's going to be a lot more interest, honestly, and kind of what shakes out of that recruiting weekend. So make sure you're on Husker Online as we will have all the coverage here throughout the weekend. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics.